When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, life on the farm is kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country boy like me can hack. It's early to rise, early in the sack. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm. Raising me a family and working on the farm. My days are all filled with an easy country charm. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife. I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle. And life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. When the work's all done and the sun's setting low, I pull out my fiddle and I rosin up the bow. The kids are a sweet, so I keep it kind of low. Thank God I'm a country boy. I'd play Sally Gooden all day if I could, but the Lord and my wife wouldn't think it very good. So I fiddle when I can and I work when I should. Thank God I'm a country boy. Well, I got me a fine wife, I got me old fiddle. When the sun's coming up, I got cakes on the griddle. Life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle. Thank God I'm a country boy. Morena, New Zealand, good morning, uh, happy new year to uh, all of you, it's so good to be back in the chair here at uh, SCNZ for your morning show between 9 and 12 and that's of course courtesy to uh, uh, Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier, the good people at Brant. So we've got a, a really busy first up show for me, we're going to start with uh, a little bit of cricket, we're going to talk to Dion Ibrahim who is the Otago Volts coach but he's had an interesting life in cricket himself. Uh, and of course his wife plays for the Sparks too, Kate, so uh, a former Blackfern, so we've uh, plenty to talk to uh, Dion about. Uh, then we're going to uh, go across to uh, football, footy, and we're talking to uh, Jacob Spoonley, former white goalkeeper of Sky Sport uh, Football Analyst, of course. Uh, we'll be talking to him. We'll have a multi just before 10 o'clock, some things don't change. Um, and then we shall uh, also uh, have a panel. Uh, Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin with us uh, about uh, 20 past 10 this morning. Brett Phillips is our SEN tennis commentator. And, of course, the Aussie Open, the first of the slams for 2023 starts today. And Melbourne is just, I can promise you, just le- having left there, it's a picture. It is all set up in that magnificent hub that they have around the cricket and the tennis and the footy there. Um, uh, we'll have uh, some uh, audio clips uh, around about uh, 11.25, looking back on things that happened over the weekend. And, uh, of course, we couldn't uh, have a show without a stump smithy. And we'll start that again at uh, 11.30 were the $50 bonus bet uh, up for grabs there. And then now we'll have a a quick chat with Mark Watson, Watto, before we uh, join his show just after midday today. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, it is great to be back, everyone. A belated Happy New Year to all of you. Let's just hope this is a good one. So much to look forward to, non-sporting and sporting alike. Uh, Let's start with the revelation, though I can reveal I'm no longer a Sky TV contractor. I finished on the 31st of December, uh, so even now at my tender age I have to reset my sights and goals, and it's damned exciting, I've got to say. 
23 years plus at Sky has been for the most part rewarding and enlightening. Started with cricket on day one all those years ago. Helped to build what I believe was a pretty good product until the company lost interest in trying to keep it on their channels. A CEO at the time who admitted that he wasn't a big fan of the game. Had 23 years too on the sideline at rugby, something I never imagined would ever happen. Some will say that we should, uh, some will say that it probably shouldn't have either, but it did. And for me, it was an honour and a privilege to World Cup wins, 160 plus All Black Tests, 20 Super uh, Rugby Finals, countless NPC and Ranfilly Shield matches. Probably close to uh, 750 games in all. Uh, what a blast for a kid who grew up playing rugby in Miramar, Wellington 60 years ago. Hell, did I just say that? 60 years ago? Sky TV has a changing face now, a long way removed from this old scaly sunburnt one. There's a new breed, if you haven't noticed, and that's the way it's trending, away from the career broadcaster, like Nisbo and TJ, those guys in particular, and let's hope it's a long time before they are away from our screens. Ultimate, dedicated pros, and a pleasure to work alongside. There's a purpose and a direction towards Māori and Pacific Island input and, of course, female sport like never before. The way of the world, as they say. So it was mutual that we part ways. But working on Fox Cricket for the last six weeks and the ICC on the T20 World Cup has rejuvenated my love to call cricket. Fox is without doubt the number one producer of cricket in the world. Ambitious, innovative, and their relationship with the players will never be, never be emulated in this country. SEN as it is across the ditch and SENZ here continue to make giant inroads across the board and that is exciting to be part of. More access, more live broadcasts, more good people climbing on board as well. Spark flopped. TVNZ got the cricket back which uh, for many think it's a good thing. Doesn't that just show how cyclical life can be? It's been 23 plus years since it was free to wear on our screens. God only knows what cricket will look like and where you'll watch it in 23 more years time so it's all one to sit upwards so let's get stuck into this new year shall we oh Luke Johnson that's an exclamation mark to finish well batted that man, and the Vaults have done it. They've done it the hard way, but they've done it nonetheless. Four balls to spare, and they've won here by five wickets. Summer means cricket, and while I was busy uh, in Australia with the Big Bash and Australia's Test Series against South Africa and the West Indies, the Ford Trophy and the Super Smash have been delighting cricket uh, fans over the side of the Tasman. Yesterday, the Wellington Blaze continued to find ways to win and the women's super smash while in the men's competition the otago vaults defeated the firebears by five wickets with four balls remaining in a classic joining us now is uh, their head coach dion ibrahim good morning dion uh, pleasure to have you on the show mate yeah good, good morning Smitty. yeah thanks for having me look what a lot of people might not realize you had a, a pretty darn good international career over a long long period of time yourself uh, I've got to ask you, what brought you from uh, Harare and Bulawayo and those places uh, to New Plymouth and then to Dunedin? Yeah, it's actually quite a long story, um, but in a nutshell, it was um, just the chance to actually come and, and visit New Zealand, which was one of the, the countries, unfortunately, didn't get to tour um, when playing. So um, when the opportunity presented it, um, 
I was sold uh, on the sunny, um, sandy beaches of Taranaki um, uh, without <laughs> knowing it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, a bright-eyed bushy-tail boy um, yeah, flew across and yeah, took up the opportunity. I want to get back to uh, Zimbabwean cricket a little later on in the piece, but your current role, as we mentioned, of course, is uh, head coach of the Otago Volts, who are having a, a pretty interesting season. Uh, you've you've had six uh, games in, in the, the the Super Smash competition, um, and uh, well, a good win over Wellington yesterday. So, how how you feel? You're tracking there? Yeah, look, we, we, we're pretty we're pretty, I guess, um, comfortable where we are at the moment. We know that we're playing good cricket. Um, we know that we haven't been far off on a number of games. Um, I guess we, we still went for that complete performance. And I suppose that's the heartening thing is that we know we're probably firing at, at about 85% uh, of, of what we're capable of. So, look, we've had a couple of close results. We've had a, a couple of bad losses. But we know that, um, I guess, the way that we're playing, um, we, we're pretty confident. And I guess, like you say, you know, momentum is pretty cru- crucial in this sort of format. So... Look, the game yesterday was a great little kickstart. What we hope um, could be a, a really good back end of the co- of the campaign. You've got Dean Foxcroft uh, back. Um, he had an amazing day in the field yesterday. Really, really talented uh, all rounder. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about because Dean, of course, uh, he was locked out during COVID, wasn't he? He was, and he's had a, I guess, a, a quite a big absence uh, over the last two seasons. Uh, Dean is, I guess, he's one of those players that you. He kind of linked to a, a catalyst, you know. He everything around him just seems to start up. You know, he, he's got that energy, that fight, that that grit that um, every team needs. And look, um, he's a great asset to have um, in all facets of the game. Um, a genuine leader within the group. Uh, you know, I kind of liken him as well to, to that sort of pit bull. You know, he loves to be in a comp, in a contest. He loves the fight. Um, and he's always got that real uh, determined steeliness about him. Michael Rippon's got a, a recall back to the Black Caps. That's exciting for him, and uh, he could make an impact in India because uh, he's an interesting bowler. He is. Obviously, his point of difference uh, being that left-arm uh, leg spinner. Um, you know, he should find, he, uh, I guess, quite a bit of assistance up in those Indian conditions. Um, he's had a bit of experience with the NZA a couple of months ago so look he's been I guess he's been finding a bit of form in the last couple of weeks he had a a week off just with a little bit of a niggle but he seems to have found that fitness again and obviously he almost got us over the line with the bat so look it's a great opportunity for him he's been um, he's been a top performer in domestic cricket now for for a good chunk of four or five years so it's a great um, reward for his hard work and yeah we all look with a bit of excitement to see how he tracks along. Uh, Dion, your, your next uh, mission, of course, is back to the Ford Trophy, the 50-over competition uh, on Wednesday, taking on Canterbury. How do you go in between the formats? Do, do you, how, how do you have to adjust as a coach and how do you have to adjust as a player? Yeah, look, it's, it's nothing new to, to the players and, and I guess to our team. Um, you know, last season we probably saw quite a bit of disruption with COVID and, you know, we... We actually went through um, a period of, uh, I think it was 10 days, and we played three different formats. So, look, it's nothing new. We, we've planned for it, and, and I guess the saving grace is that it is two white ball formats. So, look, the, the principles are, are very similar. Um, I guess we, we link our, our campaigns to, to various mantras, or I guess call it different templates. And 
there's a lot of similarities. Um, I guess the only difference really is tempo um, a lot of the time. So, look, it's, it's not that difficult, um, to be quite honest. It, it is re- really just ensuring that the guys are linking, um, I guess, their, their focus to the right mantras or the right templates that we, we're trying to follow. You played uh, 29 tests yourself, 82 one-day internationals, which is uh, a pretty high workload over a six-, seven-year period. Uh, Dion, um, now that you're settled in New Zealand, how open-minded are you in terms of going back into the international side of things in a coaching role? Oh, look, I guess in the my eyes are firmly set on, I guess, the sites here in New Zealand at the moment. You know, I'm, I'm pretty committed to to the roles that I have here in terms of um, at a target cricket and within NZC, NZC in terms of trying to develop, I guess, future black caps. Um, so whilst everyone harbours those ambitions of coaching at that next level, I guess I've still got to prove my worth and uh, I guess my substance at, at this level. You know, um, there's a few, a few goals and objectives that um, I've got set and, and we've got set down in, here in Otago. So, you know, not... Uh, Looking too far ahead, I guess I've got to make sure that you know I have the caliber and capability to actually make that next transition or next step. So, you know, over the next few years, it's really important that um, I can knuckle down and actually accomplish and achieve a fair bit um, here in the domestic scene. Uh, Dion, in terms of uh, Zimbabwean cricket, I imagine because it's, you know it's where your heart was uh, initially. Um, do you still keep a pretty close eye on Zimbabwean cricket and where it's at and how it's developing? Uh, more so in recent times, I guess, yeah, there was a, a little bit of a, a solid um, breakup. Um, I sometimes liken it to that um, high school sweetheart, you know, you you have some good times and bad times and when you break up, um, yeah, you often try to keep your distance for a fair bit. So I, I do keep a, an eye out on it. Um, yeah, there's still a, a number of good friends and, you know, still have a good relationship with a number of people over there, so... I guess over the recent times, I have kept a keener eye and, and have hoped for a bit more prosperity for them. Um, look, there's, there's a sense of optimism um, growing, I know, back back in Zimbabwe. Uh, we just hope that um, some of the changes that they're trying to implement can actually gain a bit of traction. Chris Cairns has uh, put an, an idea out there, and it's great to see that he's uh, thinking about cricket and that his health must be getting uh, a little bit better. Uh, that two New Zealand sides could go into the Australian Big Bash League. Do you think there's a there's any merit in that? Um, do you think there's any possibility of that? Because I look at it, uh, Dion, and I think to myself, uh, with the timing of it, if you took uh, another 25 type players out of uh, our Super Smash competition, with the fact that we don't get the the use of our internationals very often, I, I just wonder what our Super Smash would look like. I know it would be beneficial to the players playing in it financially and everything, but can you see it happening? I suppose you can never say never, but yeah, I guess you, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, as soon as you take, you know, twenty five players or you know, give or take out of the our domestic competition, you know, if if the black caps aren't involved in that then yeah, we, it does leave us quite shallow. So look I I don't think that could happen. I think what it might entertain then is um, opening up the avenue for overseas professionals to then enter the game. So I guess there's there's a number of facets that you could look at it from. Um, would it strengthen our competition? Would it strengthen, uh, I guess, the capability of us developing black caps? I guess that's uh, the question they'll have to weigh um, with the decision makers up top. 
Um, at the moment, you know, I think our Super Smash competition on its own over the last couple of seasons has definitely strengthened. You know, it's actually become um, a very competitive comp- competition, you know, across all six teams. I think the standard of the cricket's um, vastly improved over the last four or five years as well. So, look, it's a competition, I'm sure, that is gaining a lot of interest um, globally. Um, how we keep it relevant and how we keep it um, strong, you know, that's going to be interesting in the in the coming years. What are you like in, in, as you travel the country and, and uh, look at our developing cricket players? How do you feel from uh, looking on, how, how, just not in, within your uh, outfit in Otago, but around the grounds, how do you feel we are in terms of our, um, our, our, our next group coming through? Because I look at it and I, I just get a wee bit worried from time to time, but I, I'd like to be um, reinforced with my, my doubts. Yeah, look, there's a massive void, I think, when, when the black caps do go, you know, especially if it's the white ball um, touring team that's that's departed. Um, look, I, I think there's a genuine, uh, I suppose, a genuine positive outlook. I think looking at a number of the young players coming through, um, there's definitely a high skill set. Um, the, the biggest challenge is just providing the opportunities, you know. The, the biggest issue you have is a lot of, Young players are coming at this, coming to this level, and having to learn the game at this level. You know, there's not a a lot of A cricket that's provided through the MAs. You know, that a player walks into a Super Smash team or a Plunkett Shield team with 30, 40 games under their belt in that format. So, a lot of that is still learning on on the job. Um, but in saying that, I think the skill levels, the resources that are now across all MAs, from a coaching capacity, but also from facilities. Um, the players are, are wanting of, of not very well, wanting of a very little um, in terms of their ability to develop. So, look, there, there's a growing confidence. I, I think I think New Zealand cricket's in a in a very strong position. I think the player pool that's coming through will only get better and, and deeper. Um, the crucial thing is just how we can provide more playing opportunities. I think for the young talent. Yeah, you worry for. The future of Test cricket. I mean, former Test cricketer yourself. Do you see? Do you see that's a worry with uh, the programs that are being introduced around the world? I do. I do, and I guess having worked in the the pathways um, system throughout the uh, throughout a number of different MAs um, and seeing the amount of white ball cricket that young players are playing, and when I say white ball, more the shorter versions, you know, twenty overs, um, sometimes even less than that. I just, the biggest concern is actually the fundamentals and the ability of young players coming through with good, strong basics or good, strong foundations. So I guess that's the one concern, um, just the, the appetite and diet of white ball cricket at, at the lower levels and just the impact that will have on the genuine skill sets of the better players coming through. Um, I know there still are some really good structures in place in some of the traditional schools, but I guess outside of that, yeah, there is a limited opportunity for players to really develop strong fundamentals. And of course, um, we can't uh, finish an interview with uh, Dion Ibrahim uh, without uh, talking about uh, wife Kate, who's uh, having a pretty good time of it too with uh, the Otago Sparks. I mean, do you talk about anything else about apart from cricket? Oh, to, to be honest, we actually talk more rugby at home. Um, <laughs> funny that, um, yeah, Great. I think that's both of our first passion. 
Um, so, yeah, we actually don't spend too much time talking about cricket. But, um, look, yeah, Kate's, uh, yeah, Kate's having another another phenomenal season, I guess. Um, you know, she still harbors a lot of ambition. Um, she still has that competitive drive and, and edge. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> trying to find the balance of, you know, raising our, our, our little wee girl and, you know, the, I guess her, her teacher roles as well. So, look, she does an outstanding job in terms of, getting that balance and still being able to perform at what you'd like to say is, is still at one of the top levels. So, um, yeah, she's having a, a cracker season. She's enjoying playing um, for the Sparks and, and obviously alongside Susie and then the other girls. Um, you know, she still yeah, has that uh, mindset of how much more she can learn off uh, some of the senior girls and yeah, how much she can also give back to, um, to the, the Tiger Sparks. Sounds great, uh, Dion. Uh, thanks so much uh, for your time uh, this morning. Good luck with the, the clash, the Ford uh, Trophy clash on uh, Wednesday and uh, your coaching aspirations. I hope they, they all come true for you, mate. Uh, pleasure, pleasure catching up with you. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks for your time, sweetie. You take care. Cheers. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, uh, Dion Ibrahim, the uh, former Zimbabwean international, uh, and has gone through Taranaki, played a lot of cricket there. In fact, got batting records for Taranaki. Uh, and now, uh, of course, is uh, down there coaching in Dunedin, doing a fine job. It's 9.23 here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Smithy's Cricket Update, thanks to Razine, New Zealand's most trusted paint brand. Yes, and thanks to Razine, we can tell you that the Wellington Blaze have done it. They're uh, breaking their own New Zealand record for the most super smash victories in a row yesterday in Dunedin, taking their winning streak to an amazing 17 T20s. And in a fickle game like that, that's incredible. Unbeaten since the grand final two seasons ago. Sunday's big clash with the Sparks at University of, Oval, of Otago Oval. Saw the Blaze win in style with an eight-wicket victory. Nine balls to spare as they chase down their target of 128. Brilliantly led by their skipper, the multi-talented uh, Millie Kerr, steering her side to the winning post with a career-best 73 not out after 50 balls. Uh, on the back of uh, Susie Bates starring for the Otago Sparks. She's been in sizzling form with uh, her third big score of the last four knocks. Amy Satterthwaite also having a very, very good season in the Super Smash. And the best news of all for uh, women's cricket in New Zealand is that they have appointed Mornay Morkel to join their uh, T20 World Cup uh, campaign as a bowling coach. I think they like tall bowling coaches. They had uh, Jacob Oren before that. But uh, I'll be fair, Morney Morkel is a terrific guy, was a terrific bowler, and will add plenty to that campaign. So exciting times for women's cricket in this country. Uh, that was our uh, morning Monday morning update, and uh, that is courtesy, of course, of Razine. We'll be back shortly. With, uh, it's time to have a news update with Araha. <laughs> Footballing calendar is as crowded as, as ever, returning, of course, from the FIFA World Cup. The Wellington Phoenix are back in the men's A-League and making a real push for a spot in the playoffs, while the women's side struggle to find their feet. Been a tough old season for them. Meanwhile, in English football, the FA Cup remains top of the mind with three around, round three replays happening this week, including Liverpool taking on Wolves again. Plus, the EPL is back in full swing. And, of course, don't forget... 
the little matter of the Women's World Cup coming up later this year between uh, New Zealand and Australia. We're hosting it. And that means that uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, talented uh, women footballers here, including the U.S. women's national team, uh, this week. So uh, let's uh, catch up with uh, what's going on in the football world, shall we? With uh, Jacob Spoonley, of course, former All-Whites goalkeeper and Sky Sport football analyst. Uh, good morning to you, Jacob. Let's keep it custodian, shall we? Uh, what a season Ollie Sale has been uh, having of late. Uh, what has been his secret to success in goal? Because uh, I was actually doing a game of cricket. Next door, he was saving penalties for Africa in a, in a stadium right next door in Sydney. Good morning, Smitty. Great to have you back, mate. I think we can all put Ollie's uh, current success down to um, a period in his formative, um, sorry, formative period in his goalkeeping upbringing where he was the understudy to a Jacob Stanley at Century United. So I think. All success really does stem from this, Smitty. As you can appreciate, you've got to hand these sorts of things down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Always the most important person on the team. There's no doubt about that. Um, look, that's why we come to you every time. Uh, but in all honesty, in all honesty, mate, uh, it's it's trending well, very, very, very well indeed. It is, and this has been um, a wee while in the making. It seems to be a yearly occurrence with Ufuk Tully that we go through a stage where he's a bit of new players, uh, either returning Kiwis or Australians that have been brought into the mix, and then some imports. And then once we get through in a seven or eight game period, they seem to go on a bit of a tear where they do start making their way up through the table. And we've kind of seen that since they've come back from the World Cup. Yes, there was um, a stumble against Melbourne City, albeit that someone came against the team at the top of the table. And then since uh, then, we've seen them come away with two very important 1-0 wins, away from home and two clean sheets. So no goals conceded over the course of 180 minutes. And we've been chirping on for a while about how strong they look with the ball, how fluid the football has been at times, but there has been this trapdoor, which has been their defence. And they seem to have cured that. And to your point, Ollie seems to have been um, the player that's really helped get them those clean sheets. I would say it's been a unit um, that has settled in. And the clean sheets have coincided with the return of Alex Roof, the club captain. And when you put in place a spine that starts with Ollie, extends through Tim Payne, and then finishes with this disruptive, controlled, settled influence that Roof brings in the midfield, you're starting to see the foundation of this Phoenix team going forward. And that, to me, has been the unsung part of these two pretty impressive performances away. And we now have them playing Central Coast of third versus fourth this weekend as well. OK, so we're approaching um, uh, the halfway point in the, the A-League season. Gosh, it's flown by. But um, on, on the basis of what you've just said, uh, you, you seem fairly confident that uh, Ufuk Talay has the right players uh, yeah. to take them through to the pointy end of the season and the playoffs. I think I think that's exactly right, Smitty. I don't think we're talking about a team that's that should have ambitions of just making the top six and being happy to compete with the Australian teams. I think we're talking about a side that should put itself in the picture as being the black horse. This team, and I've said this since the start of the season, should be aiming for top four. So they're up against teams that can spend more. They're up against teams that have a much more storied history when it comes to not only competing but going deep into the playoffs. The Phoenix don't have that, and they don't have that under Tale, but they've built this side, this 
squad, more importantly, because we've seen depth this year that can compete with anyone on their day. Although they lost 3-1 to Melbourne City, who are the team that is going to run away with the title this year, I believe, um, we did see them compete. We did see them being ambitious. We did see them go out and confidently attack Melbourne City um, for large chunks of the game. They were second best, but that should give them a milestone to then progress forward from. And we've also seen them being able to compete with the likes of Western Sydney, where they picked up a point. Central Coast Mariners, where they've also picked up a point. They've beaten Adelaide and MacArthur, who are the teams that are hovering around that top six. So they've got the ability to not only um, see teams eye to eye, but also knock them down. Um, and that's why this game this weekend, I think, is so important. It's a home match. It's against another top four side. Uh, and it's a chance for the Phoenix to really start rubber stamping this claim for the top four. Jacob Spoonley, uh, ben, I've spent a bit of time uh, in Australia of late, um, and there's a little bit of um, conjecture, I guess, as to the underperforming sides over there, sides like Sydney FC and the Melbourne Victory. What's what's happened there? I think Sydney FC, they need a refresher, and Steve Corica obviously has had wonderful success taking over the reins after Graham Arnold left the Socceroos. He took the side forward, um, evolved on some other set of principles, um, tweaked them slightly, but they've relied on a number of senior players um, and they've really aged as a collective um, over the course of Corica's last couple of seasons. We have seen them bring in some new faces this year. They've tried to combine those with some academy products. It simply isn't working and the Corica is now under massive pressure. I went on Simon Hill and Alex Brock's SEM show, um, so your colleagues on the other side of the been, and the lead-in chat was all about when, potentially, if not if, Corica uh, would be around. So he needs to get things up and running. Um, I think he's got a CEO in the background that is looking to put his fingerprints on the squad, and that might mean that he gets to bring in a coach um, to take the team forward. So Adam Santos taken... Uh, the job from Danny Townsend, uh, who's obviously stepped up into the APL management. And I think Adam Santos, a new stadium, he's got some new signings. He potentially might be looking at a new coach. Let's talk uh, Women's Phoenix if we can and uh, winless after eight matches, which is, is disappointing because after last season we had some relatively high hopes, uh, particularly with the ability to play matches at home, uh, Jacob. Uh, and even yesterday going down 2-0, uh, conceding two very early goals to the Perth Glory, and having a player in Eamon Ralston uh, sent off, which is pretty rare in women's football. It is, and I think we can all rightly um, be frustrated with what's occurred uh, in the ALW this year for the Wellington Phoenix. Um, they lost their coach, uh, Lake Doors, so um, Gemma Lewis uh, left to go back to Wales. Um, she was offered a wonderful position over there. Um, that didn't mean wholesale changes, though, as Natalie was able to step up into um, the role she became the head coach. Uh, as you said, Smitty, they were able to bring in some very senior ferns. Those ferns should have helped elevate the team from where we saw them last year, where at the end of the season, they did start picking up points. They were putting in some really competent performances and competing rather well with the much more seasoned Australian opposition. Uh, that simply has not... Uh, transferred into good performances this year. And I don't think it's... The frustrating part isn't the results, although if you look at what has occurred 
Uh, we've played nine games now. We've had one draw, so only accumulated one point over the course of those nine games. Um, conceded 17 goals and only scored three. So that's not pretty reading at all. Um, it's the how they've gone about um, playing the matches. We haven't seen much in the way of regular chances. Uh, and then there has been a looseness to their play. They've encouraged pressure at times by being sloppy in position, particularly playing out from the back. So a lot of this has been self-inflicted. Um, and I think it's the management of the matches that really does need to improve. Um, in relation to the sending off last night, it looked like Emma Ralston was by and large provoked. But that we have had suggestions that this, uh, this team hasn't come together necessarily uh, as quickly as expected. Um, I think that's probably the, the thing that needs to be dealt with um, first and foremost is making sure that this is a cohesive unit um, because they are one that's going to be expected to go out and um, I think return results, which you wouldn't otherwise expect, the expected results this season, I don't think you'd say the fans were looking to pick up much, but they haven't really got to that threshold yet either. Right, let's uh, turn to uh, the EPL if we can, uh, Jacob, because there's plenty going on there, of course, including some drama in the Manchester derby. Uh, City fuming over United's uh, equaliser. Some suggestion that Marcus Rashford had interfered in the play. What did you make of that? <laughs> uh, it's brilliant watching the Manchester United. Um, that's the Manchester teams United and City uh, cannibalise each other. Um, I can't really talk to being a Liverpool fan, but um, what we're talking about is Marcus Rashford making a run. He's clearly offside. Uh, he doesn't ever get more than three or four yards away from the ball, just outside the 18-yard box. He looks like he's about to strike it. So the Manchester City players are largely playing him. They're trying to contain and minimise any sort of risk that he poses. And then right at the last, uh, Bruno Fernandes screams through, puts it in the back of the net. And uh, on review, it is decided that Marcus Rashford doesn't have any influence over anything, including the balls or Manchester City defenders or... Edison and goal, and it's all fine because Bruno Fernandes is the only player to touch the ball. Absolutely, 1,000%, unequivocally, this is offside to me. There is, there is no way this can be considered onside, and for me, it's a reflection of those that write the rules, uh, that influence our game, often don't understand the nuance or the detail. And the referees, they had to make the decision based on the rule. It's a stupid rule. And unfortunately, it's cost Manchester City um, the opportunity to point at Old Trafford. Right, let's look at um, the aforementioned uh, Liverpool. Struggling a wee bit of late. I've noticed your ninth um, on the table at this point with a couple of games in hand on uh, the play teams that have played 20. But by and large, you are trailing the pack and you're struggling too uh, to get past Wolves. What's got to happen here? It's horrible, Smithy. It, it truly is. Uh, the game against Brighton on the weekend where Liverpool went down 3-0 was the worst match of Jurgen Klopp's tenure, in my opinion. It was a, a really hard watch. They were so poor defensively. They do not look anywhere near cohesive or even explosive as you'd expect them to be under Klopp in the midfield. And then there was a potency up top that has never existed under Klopp's reign. So this was the lowest point. And you're right, it's costing them in terms of their position on the Premier League table. Um, they're struggling and causing themselves even more grief by creating more games and having to go and play Wolves in an FA Cup replay. 
But the big thing for me, Smitty, is this could potentially be impacting their recruitment, not only in the January window, but also at the end of the year. And when we talk about recruitment, there is one player that we are talking about with Liverpool. It's been obvious the players themselves have been recruited and while they've been in the England camp. Um, they've made noise about how they want to go and invest in a superstar to elevate them to the next uh, stage. They've got to compete with the likes of Manchester City who go out and buy Haaland. And that player is, of course, Jude Bellingham. And apparently it's one of two options for Bellingham at the moment. It's either Liverpool or Real Madrid. And after the performances over the last month, I would say that Liverpool are a distant second to Real Madrid at the moment. And it's going to need to be a miracle to secure Jude Bellingham's signature, who I think is going to be a superstar over the next 10 to 12 years. So Klopp needs to get it together. He needs to, um, I think, rules a bit of an iron fist over the next couple of weeks. And he needs to back the players that are going to get in performances because this could either be a blip in the season in which they really make a, a case to run down uh, Champions League spot, or this could see the complete unbundling uh, of Liverpool, which is what we saw at Borussia Dortmund at the end of Klopp's tenure. Um, just finally, uh, Jacob, uh, we're mentioning women's football before in terms of uh, the women's Phoenix, of course, but uh, the United States women's team come here, the highest profile, I think, uh, over the years, women's football team in the world. Uh, they've got match, uh, the first match Wednesday at Sky Stadium, but uh, it doesn't look like uh, the football fans coach, Jim uh, Clover, is, um, has named a very, very strong squad. Is, th- is that a worry for you? Is there a possibility of some blowouts here which won't do women's football in this country a favour? I think... When we're looking at this, and just to explain it for your listeners, so these two matches have been organised outside of FIFA's international window, and what that really means is that um, New Zealand football cannot call upon the players that have club football at the moment in England and Scotland and in Australia. Um, so what they've had to do is basically rely on who's available, who they can get releases from club football for, and then also call upon some local players Um, with our National League not currently playing. And that has meant that we have had to put together some players that haven't played international football before up against um, the perennial favourites in the US women's national team. They've won gold medals at the Olympics, they've won gold medals at the World Cup, uh, and they've brought down a very strong team. So that's wonderful for our footballing public. But you're right, it does pose a bit of a question. There'll be some anxiety about what happens on the field. And there is potential for it to impact the brand leading into the World Cup as well. Um, in terms of the players that we can see on the pitch, there's the likes of Becky Sarabon, who's been a wonderful servant for the US national women's team. Um, we've got Trinity uh, Rodman, who is Dennis Rodman's daughter. She is electric down the wing. Uh, and then Alex Morgan, um, just a goal-scoring machine for the US uh, up top, and she'll be leading the line. Um, so uh, it's going to be wonderful to see uh, those players on our turf. Um, yes, there's a question about how it will go, but there's also, I think, um, an ability for us to potentially bring to life some players that could play professional football. And that's potentially something that the Bains of Phoenix are looking at next year. If we're not getting um, results out of our players at the moment, are there alternatives? And the likes of Taylor O'Brien and Devin Jackson and Rebecca Lake, who play for Eastern Suburbs and um, Canterbury United, they might do well in these games and they could stand up and say hey I'm deserving of professional football which is what we will hope to see but 
Positively, Smithy, what we are hearing is that both games at Sky Stadium and up at Eden Park, um, there will be strong crowds. So this speaks to the level of interest in not only women's football in this country, but also um, the World Cup, which we've got starting to bear down us like a wave. And it's fantastic to be able to talk about that uh, in 2023. Jacob Spoonley, always great to catch up with you, and we'll do it again very shortly. Thanks, mate. All the best. Lovely. Cheers, Smithy. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Talkback time with Smithy. Call now 0800 150 811. Yep, 0800-150-811 is uh, your opportunity uh, in the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes to, to give us a call if you like and uh, talk about uh, anything that you've uh, noticed in, over the weekend of sport or uh, since New Year or uh, even longer than that. Uh, interesting time for the Black Caps uh, going through a transitioning phase really. Haven't uh, spoken to you since uh, the, uh, well I'll say the, the demise of, or was it his choice, Kane Williamson is the test captain. Uh, staying on as the one-day captain. Wonderful victory, actually, to beat uh, Pakistan in Pakistan. First time, I think, for uh, over 40 years we've been able to win a series of any sort on Pakistan soil. So credit uh, to the uh, Black Caps there. Uh, what did you make of the, the captaincy, too, of uh, Tim Salvey? Um, always uh, interesting uh, when you have uh, a long-term captain uh, and you have a new one coming across. Tim Salvey, who's been around the scene for a long time, but not as captain, trying to do... Uh, for New Zealand cricket, what Pat Cummins is doing for Australian cricket. So interesting to uh, hear your thoughts on those. A uh, bit of a downtime for uh, our rugby players. Uh, the golf uh, PGA just heating up again in the new year. Plenty to talk about. Uh, Cliffy from Dunedin, good morning to you, sir. Happy New Year. Yeah, happy New Year to you, Smithy. Nice to, nice to hear you back. Nice to hear that you're going to be hanging around. Uh, yeah, shame about Sky. I think it's just just the way it is. I was talking to a, another guy who worked for Sky in the in the footy game, the rugby side, and he, he was he was let go. I just think sometimes they don't look at the real people that have got the real background. They it's just who you are at the time. I think sometimes, isn't it? You know, it is. So. Um, in, in my in my case, um, you know, the, there was. Uh, a situation where I perhaps um, could have stayed on and, and um, done some stuff for them. Uh, but I, I just, uh, in the end, uh, I wanted to make a clean break myself. I just, um, I, as I said, I, I've, I found commentating cricket again, particularly on the World Cup and, and then in Australia, rejuvenating Cliff. So, you know, at, at my tender old age, uh, you don't get uh, too many options and you don't get too many um uh, chances uh, to to take a new direction, so I'm I'm happy to be able to do that. So uh, they're good people. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great people at Sky. They work very very hard and they produce a good product. So uh, I wish them all the very yeah. best. But yep, life's life, as you say, it's a changing face on sport in this country and the way it uh, is to be brought to you. Yeah, no, I I, I watched you on uh, cricket in Australia. I thought you certainly. Uh, Lifted the game for them. I mean, they're an interesting group too. Um, 
the cricket, the cricket at the moment, ooh, it's a it's a bit of a hard listen about New Zealand cricket. I think they react. They're not progressive. Uh, with the Bolt business, to me, if Bolt didn't want to sign a contract, well, that was fair. It gave it to someone else. You don't have to play for New Zealand because you've got a contract. There'll be guys that are picked that might not even be on the contracted list. So to me, saying that Bolt shouldn't play test cricket, possibly, because he's not a contracted player, is, is a bit of an out. He's the best bowler we've got. So to me, if he's available, he plays. I mean, they're resting uh, Saudi and Williamson in this Indian uh, 20 series. Uh, you know, the, the, the captain and the vice captain or the past captain are both not playing. So to me, if they can have guys come in and out, to me, the bolt's in the same position. If he's the best player and he's the form player, he's still in form and he, they, the guy that to do it, you, you play him. That's no doubt in my mind. It. Yeah, that's the way I look at it too. If he's available and he's keen, and that's the thing. He's got to be dedicated. He's got to want to do it. There's no point uh, picking a guy who uh, wants to come back for the test match fee, but his heart and soul isn't in it. And that's not what test cricket is all about, uh, Cliff. His, his life is taking, uh, like uh, we've just been talking about uh, myself, actually. He's changed, uh, changed direction, and he's looking at other um, things to do now and, and certainly maximise what he can do as his uh, fitness and, and his physical side of him comes towards the end of his career. So I, I don't blame him for that. I, I really don't blame him for that. But um, as you say, uh, it would be nice to have uh, Southie and Bolt opening up for us, wouldn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah, you know, I look at the Australian side. Most of their top players don't play 20 league. You know, they've got the money, or whether they've got the money to give to their top players like Smith and Lavashane and them so that they don't go and play in these other leagues are always available. They have a very good side in their test and, and their one-day team. And then their 2020 side is, can be quite different. And that's a thing that we've got to go down that road. We need a 2020 coach. We need uh, a completely, basically different side. Maybe one or two players. Maybe the spinners could still play in the 2020 team. But to me, that 2020 side has to be quite different. Um, to give, the, to give the test team the best uh, strength in its side, they don't want guys playing twenty twenty too much and swapping from one to the other. You know, if we send a team away and they play test matches, they see the test match side and then the, the other team comes in behind them and plays the 20s. But, you know, test match players can play 50s, but I don't think many of them should be playing 20s. What do you reckon? No, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, and that's the way... Uh, it is, is starting to trend. I, I really, you know, uh, can, uh, can, I'm concerned. I talk to a lot of people, Cliff, as you well know, in, in the cricket side of things over the last uh, six to eight weeks of, of doing a World Cup and then, of course, uh, uh, doing, um, you know, some uh, cricket for Fox, doing some test matches for Fox. Uh, the future of test cricket is a big, big issue that uh, a lot of people are thinking about now and who will actually play test cricket in the future uh, and whether we'll be involved, um, you know, w- Will uh, it'll be India? Uh, India will play what India want to play, and that'll get a lot of support. Uh, the Ashes will stay for quite some time, and let's hope it never goes. Um, and and then you look at um, the West Indies and in South Africa, and uh, the way they performed, which was very poor against Australia. You wonder about the depth of Test cricket in, in certain countries. So we have to be have to be very careful. Be on our metal. Uh, we have to make sure that uh, when we front up. 
we're pretty strong. Um, otherwise, um, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be in trouble and, and uh, we need to make sure that our results are very strong. We went from being the World Test Champion to, I think, uh, at the moment, we sit second last on the table, miles and miles away from even being close to being part of it this year with uh, losses to um, some sides that uh, really, um, you know, uh, are sides that uh, we should have beaten and would have beaten over the years. Cliff, thanks very much for your call. And interesting indeed. Uh, what have we got next, Logan? Uh, you and me, mate. You and me. It's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Uh, definitely have, like everyone else that is text through or Cliff calling through, appreciate the call, Cliff. Enjoyed watching you uh, and listening to you with the coverage both on Fox. And, of course, you did a little bit of a stint uh, with the SNZ well with uh, Waitley and the crew. How did you find it over there? How did you find commentating Big Bash? Uh, Big Bash is interesting. It's an entirely different style of commentary. Uh, you sort of sit back in a group of three and you just chat. Uh, and the game goes on out the window. Uh, some people don't like it. Some people love it. They think it's fantastic. Um, so, uh, look, um, it depends who you work with and, and um, the focus on them. But they've got a great, uh, a great nucleus, a great uh, team of commentators across the board there. They get uh, current players in if they can. They get former players, of course. They've got one or two specialist broadcasters just to throw into the mix. So they um, they do it very, very well, and they put a lot of resources into it. There is a there is a, a big school of thought, though, um, Logan, that, that says it's too long. Season's too long. Um, I think uh, game 43 last night in mm. season 12, game 43. So they're looking at perhaps cutting it back uh, to a much more abbreviated season. And that was one of the reasons why they had trouble with their, their free-to-air broadcaster, Channel 7. Channel 7 were, were thinking that it's way, way too long. Um, and, of course, the, the, more, the longer it goes on, um, the more it costs across the board. Uh, so there'll, there'll be that side of it in there, but uh, they'll come back the other way and say, well, OK, um, season's less in terms of duration, less games, less pay. Uh, you know, uh, So it'll be a, a, a bit of a balance there in, in that regard. But Big Bash commentary entirely different to um, any other style of commentary that uh, that I've done, really. And then on the other end of that, of course, you're doing test cricket, MCG Boxing Day tests. Uh, to me personally, I don't know if there gets much better than that other than, you know, commentating their Lords, not something that I, I would ever do. You've you've done it, mate. But you got to st- stand alongside Brian Lara as well during that West Indies series. How was that? Yeah, Brian Lara is someone I hadn't uh, got to know uh, really that well. I, I I played against him right at the end of my career and the start of his, really. But uh, Brian Lara is Brian Lara, and he is the prince, uh, known as the prince in, in cricketing terms. Uh, I, I watched them bat. They used him in a, a net session against Rashid Khan. It was absolutely fantastic to watch him play uh, Rashid Khan for five minutes in a net. Um, Brian Lara, I think, is 53, 54 years of age. Had lost nothing, absolutely nothing, in fact. Of the West Indies batsmen I saw on show against Australia in the Test Series, by far the best and most accomplished-looking West Indies batsman was Brian Lara over the course of the summer. Uh, he still hasn't lost it. He plays, uh, lost, he plays in uh, some legends cricket, some experienced, uh, you know, uh, the old-timers cricket, and is an absolute standout, as you would imagine, uh, and has now decided that he wants to be a commentator, uh, and he's, he will be a very good commentator, Brian Lara. So that was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I'm sure we'll get to catch up a bit more, Smithy, but we also have Nick on the line who no doubt wants to catch up with you. Come in, Nick. Good morning, gentlemen. How's it going? 
G'day, Nick. Good good morning. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, likewise, Smitty. I was actually up your way on the weekend at a wedding in Havelock. Didn't make my way to Turks, but uh, it was very good up there. Um, well, so the funny, funny. I, thought... I was just going to say, oh, I went go. to a wedding in a wedding in Havelock over the weekend as well. So didn't didn't catch up with you, but um, there you go. It was my son's wedding, so we had a, a great time. Where was your wedding? It was at uh, the Tiawanga Estate there. Oh, Out lovely! In, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was bloody good. It was bloody good. It was very, it was, it was pretty wet about, to be honest, up there. The apples looked good, not much else though. But um, no, yeah, this, the black cat. This, the yep. black cat. Tim Southey. Tim Southey's captaincy. I was, I couldn't work out. I was so baffled. Like just in general, the last two years, how they, how they've been using Neil Wagner, and then Tim Southey in that first test, it was just bizarre. I just didn't understand why he was on the park. It was like a total suggestion, but he didn't trust in the bowl. It was, I found it quite strange. I don't really know why he, he sort of drifted out, given his record and, and what he's done wrong. But, but anyway, the second, the second test, obviously, we were, we were unlucky. We had the better of that. And, you know, the one-day series, I think, um, showed that we were the better side. It's interesting to see just completely different Kane Williamson with the bat over there since the captaincy went in the test matches. I don't know if that's... Uh, he'll probably never say it is, but I wonder if that's related. Um... But um, I completely agree with what you're saying about the, the, you know, going forward, if we want to be involved in chess matches and play more than two a year, then we definitely need to be cleaning up things like Pakistan, even in their own conditions. But uh, also, lastly, just on the Big Bash and uh, Aussie Summer in general, um, that's like I fell in love with cricket watching, you know, watching those sorts of series in the in the you know, early 2000s with their great teams and part of that was like the learning with all the commentary and it was it was bloody good to have you a part of it and I thought you did a great job. Uh, Nick, thank you very much for that. It was the time of my life in terms of recent commentary, I've got to say. They were uh, brilliant to work with. Uh, every single one of those uh, men and women that you work on air with uh, have been absolutely superb and uh, behind the side, uh, behind the team, uh, the behind team is just... Unbelievable. I, I, when uh, when we get a moment or two um, in the next couple of days, we, I'll, ta- I'll tell you a, a little bit about working for Fox and just how how big a production it is and how dedicated they are to uh, cricket coverage in Australia. And the good news is they've got it through into uh, 2031, which is phenomenal news for uh, cricket followers, but also for those that uh, work within the industry over there. Uh, hey, Nick, thanks very much for your call. Uh, we've got a, a, a spare minute here. Uh, we've got to go to a break. So uh, thank you very much um, uh, to those people that called in. Stephen, we'd love to hear from you tomorrow. Um, and it was um, interesting, Nick, those points. I don't know if uh, Neil Wagner, the bowler, is going to be the same bowler under the captaincy the, of Tim Southey as he was a brilliant bowler and tactician uh, against Kane Williamson. I certainly hope so. We need Neil Wagner. We certainly do, particularly without Trent Bolt. We'll be back soon. Well, I've really missed uh, talking to the various correspondents we have uh, on the panel, so it's great to get back uh, into it. And we start uh, very strongly this morning with Jamie Wall, uh, of course, and Aidan McLaughlin. Aidan McLaughlin out of my neck of the woods. So great to have uh, both you guys uh, back on board and uh, Happy New Year belatedly to you both. Uh, gentlemen, I'll start with you, Jamie. Uh, T20 cricket, uh, of course, it's uh, huge at the moment on all our channels. Chris Cairns has suggested that maybe two Kiwi sides should join the Big Bash. Uh, is it an idea worth pursuing in your mind, Jamie? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Great to be talking with you again. And um, morning, Aidan. 
Uh, is it? I I was thinking about this long and hard on the drive drive in this morning, uh, and I can kind of see pros and cons of of both both sides of the argument. Um, because I mean, really, at the at the way T20 cricket is at the moment, you can probably, if you had the money, uh, manage to put together a franchise and, and stack a team up with kind of whoever you whoever you really want. Um, because there are no really re- any sort of regulations about. Um, I don't think New Zealand cricket would have any be come down too hard on on how many New Zealanders you'd need the team. So you could stack it up with some some big name players. And the way that T20 works now is that they those guys aren't really out, outside of uh, the realms of possibility. Um, would they be competitive? Uh, I I'm not sure. Uh, you know, New Zealand is obviously a cricketing country that has quite a big home ground advantage. You know, due to the pitches and conditions that that we play in, so that would that would perhaps play into our favour. Uh, and and T20, of course, has a lot of variables in it that do do favour you know teams <clears throat> going in anyway. The the one thing I would question though about the wisdom of of, of such a such a move is whether you'd be making the same kind of errors that that Super Rugby did in which uh, the, the way that it would solve um, uh, the interest levels dropping in it is to simply add more teams. Um, and you see, you see, you can see what's happened to all of the Super Rugby teams that the, the first ones, are, uh, sorry, the last ones in were also the first ones out when it came to the, the hit on the chopping block. And it would, it would, you'd, you'd be taking quite the risk uh, in, in a sporting environment in New Zealand that, any sport here really struggles to get um, new new customers or new new eyes on screens and bums on seats. So I, I can see pros and cons in both. Aidan, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, morning, Smithy, and morning, Jamie. Happy New Year to you both. Um, I think it's always worth listening to, to ideas if they if they come on the table. Uh, personally, I think that this one, I think we're, we're, we're pretty good the way we're set at the moment. Um, is the domestic T20 Competition we've got at the moment, the Super Smash, is it perfect? No, uh, I don't think anything's perfect. But I think the great thing about it is that it is a New Zealand competition um, and it's organised in the interest of New Zealand cricket. I think if we start uh, potentially going down the, the route of uh, entering uh, an Australian competition, uh, then our influence is diluted. And uh, what, what's our motivation? Is it purely money? Is it, uh, is it pe- potentially to... Uh, expose our players to other players from a different country so that they may improve. Maybe there's some, some something in that. But I, I quite like it as it is. It's um, At this time of year, it's a good competition. It's spectator-friendly times. It's TV-friendly times. It develops our domestic players. Uh, and for the women, actually for the women players, uh, which this doesn't seem to be aimed at, uh, it's pretty good because they already play in the Big Bash because the Big Bash is, is scheduled before our our own domestic competition. So um, always worth listening just in case there are some good ideas out there, but on balance, I think we're good as we are. My personal belief, excuse me, is we we might not be good enough if we just send our players, Aidan, excuse me, so we might have to uh, recruit. Yeah, I mean, is there... I, I, I actually like watching uh, our domestic competition over the Big Bash, um, and some people have questioned why that is, uh, because uh, b- perhaps the quality isn't as good as the Big Bash, and I, I take that on board. 
But equally, I would rather watch um, a domestic competition with domestic players that I'm actually invested in. Um, it doesn't really, you know, I, I used to watch the Big Bash quite a bit uh, in the early years, and I've drifted away from it over the years, and I've drifted more towards the Super Smash. Not because I think it's a better quality and there are better players, but because it's more of more interest to me and what I want to watch from a New Zealand cricket perspective. But no, I mean, yeah, would we be competitive? I think I think the the, the point that was out there would be that we probably wouldn't see if it was Auckland and Canterbury, which I think are the names that Chris Cairn suggested, for example, if it was those two teams, then they wouldn't be those two teams as we see them now. They would be more of a franchise basis where you'd be taking players in potentially from Australia and other countries, just like those big bash teams do at the moment. So um, I think the teams would potentially be different anyway, but no, I take your, po- your point about domestically, we might not be good enough anyway. No, totally. Uh, that is a big point, I think, that you have to consider. Right, uh, let's uh, change tack, if we can, uh, Jamie, to look at the breakers. Uh, possibility that they were looking at a top two finish, but went down uh, to the Cairns Taipans. Uh, how do you see them sitting this, this, this far into the competition? Oh, well, it's definitely not a loss that they'd, they'd want, but it's not going to kill their chances. They have looked very good. Uh, this year, and it's great to see them back in, you know, back where we want to, want the Breakers to be, you know, because uh, they are a team that has enjoyed a great deal of success. You know, the one team uh, that's based in New Zealand that has uh, enjoyed great success in an Australian competition, and um, they've, they've dipped off over the last few years. Obviously, COVID didn't help, um, and to see them back and perhaps in contention for a title is uh, is really good. Uh, I think that's what that's three three losses in a row though you know coming up to the the business end of the season um, it might it, this might impact their ability to host a um, a home semi final which would be a pretty big blow uh, considering that uh, the amount of support they're getting I think they had seven thousand um, which is about as many as you can fit into um, Spark Arena there in in, in Auckland. Uh, which is amazing, really, like for a team of uh, that is playing, um, you know, not one of the main sports in New Zealand, um, to be pulling that sort of crowd. They, could, they should be very happy with that. Uh, but they would be desperate to get that crowd on their side, you know, when the crunch comes on and when they need them um, in that final series. So um, here's hoping they can <clears throat> they can shake off whatever's been ailing them. They they did have a big road trip. I mean, I'll give them that. Uh, that they needed to kind of get over, but um, they need to really sort of knuckle down and, and take what they've learned over these over those losses. Um, I mean, the one the one good thing is, is that they've been close. You know, they haven't been blown out or anything. Uh, so um, you know, here's hoping they can they can just write the ship and, and come right at the right end of the season. Jamie Wall with us this morning, as is Aidan McLaughlin. We'll take a, a short break and have some news with Araha. When we come back, uh, we'll look at uh, the disappearing sevens out of Hamilton. Uh, The tennis, um, uh, a review of what it was like in New Zealand. And, of course, the Aussie Open starts today in Australia. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin with us this morning as our panellists. And uh, Aidan McLaughlin, let's look at uh, the tennis, if we can. First of all, locally. Uh, the ASB Classic is done and uh, fantastic, it seemed from the outside looking in. How did you rate the, the, the fortnight of tennis and the performance of the new tournament director and Nicholas uh, Lamparan? Yeah, I think Nicholas Lamparan done a, a tremendous job. Um, 
he inherited a comp, uh, you know, a tournament that had gone from success to success under Carl Budge. Carl Budge was the face of that tournament, and he built up a, a great reputation. Uh, and he managed to get some tremendous players over uh, each year, uh, especially on the women's side of the draw. Um, so, so stepping into his shoes was was no easy task, and I think he's done very well. Um, I think a lot of people don't realise probably what restrictions that he has in terms of the tournament status. Um, you know, because of its status uh, as a as a WTA 250 event, um, he can only sign one player from the women's top ten, for example. He gets Coco Goff in, she wins the tournament. And then he's trying to, you know, orchestrate who else he can get, what other big names he can get in. He gets Emma Renacanu in because she's outside the top 10, for example. So I think when you have all those balls to juggle and you have those restrictions, um, you really earn you, 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 your money as a tournament director. I think he's done a great job. Um, obviously, the, the, the weather didn't play ball, especially for the first week. It was a little bit uh, more accommodating for the second week. Um, and I think we had a great men's tournament as well. But um, I think it was. I think all things considered, it has to be considered a success. And uh, yeah, I know Jamie was there, so it'd be interesting to, to hear what he thinks about it. Yeah, Jamie, what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I have to agree with what Aidan said about uh, the way that it unfolded. I mean, obviously, it was hampered by some really unseasonable rain up here in, in Auckland, where it uh, hardly ever rains. Uh, not at this time of year, anyway. Um, uh, and of course, it ignited the debate about um, whether. Stanley Street needs a roof. Um, of course, this debate is always followed up by the obvious question is who's going to pay for it. Uh, and given Auckland's Council's um, relationship with building sports infrastructure, I can't see that anyone writing a cheque for that anytime soon. Um, if they did move it indoors somehow, um, it would become a completely different sort of event. The whole thing is about... Um, you know, sitting in the corporate boxes um, up, right up next to the court. It's a very unique uh, setting for a tennis tournament. You know, you've got the, the domain right there next to you and, you know, what should be being played out in nice sunny weather uh, and while you sip champagne there and that's why everyone enjoys going to it. So I think moving the whole thing inside would, would completely transform it. Um, yeah, Aidan did mention um, the sort of restrictions that they're under with it being a 250 uh, tournament at the moment um, and the changing kind of landscape of the tennis uh, setup with the United Cup happening over in Australia at the same time which means that it might be a little bit more tricky to get big name players uh, but the one thing I, I will say uh, around the women's tournament anyway is your, your title's only as strong as your champion and um, the ASB Classic has had two very strong champions in the last a uh, couple of times it's been held obviously Coco Goff uh, won the title that was last won by Serena Williams um, Serena Williams, you know, in the conversation as being one of the greatest athletes of all time, and Coco Golf has the potential to go on and become uh, the new face of the face of the sport. She's only 18, um, and uh, you know, if she can carry the sort of form on that we that she showed at Stanley Street into the Aussie Open, she's going to make a pretty deep run, um, and she could potentially go on and win it. Uh, so. You know that's been that's a really good thing that they can take out of it. Um, it would have been really cool if Cam, Cameron Norrie had been able to uh, win the men's, um, lost in a you know pretty decent final to um, veteran Richard Gasquet. But as long as he keeps coming back as well, because of course then at least we can claim that there is some sort of New Zealand representation there, even though he's not officially a New Zealander anymore. I mean. It, and it leads me to another question, which uh, I ask a lot, and no one seems to be able to answer. Maybe you can, Jamie. Where is New Zealand tennis in terms of our own players? 
Yeah, great question. Uh, I mean, th- 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 that's a whole blooming half your show we could we could go on for about that. But I mean, just briefly, I think that you know, like a lot of sports, New Zealand tennis um, suffers from a geographical issue. It's it's very difficult um, to get our players uh, out to regular, be playing regular, high, uh, decent quality opponents. I mean, you know, look if you're based in Europe, if you if you're Cam Norian, you go base yourself in the UK. You can go anywhere in Europe within a day and, and play a tournament and then play somewhere else in Europe and, and, and another tournament. And you're playing against really good players all the time. That's why he's so he's been so good. Um, you know, and if you're in New Zealand, really, you, the, the tennis New Zealand just, just don't have the money. They, I mean, no one's really got any money after the last couple of years anyway. Um, and so, yeah, it's like I said, it's like the roof debate. Um, it comes down to who pays for it. Um, you know, but the, like I said, there's a lot more things going on um, behind the scenes around that one. But I will say it was pretty cool um, after the, as you know, the the, the other semi final that Cam Norrie didn't play and um, Richard Gasquet won in a walkover. So uh, because his opponent pulled out with injury, so they brought out some of the young, the young kids, um, the young shining lights of uh, of tennis in New Zealand, and the, and it was pretty awesome to see a couple of. 11 and 12 year old kids having a go on centre court in front of like a really big crowd, so because it would have been the first time they would have ever played in front of that. So I mean, all we got to do is hope. Um, otherwise, we're just going to be end up outsourcing our tennis talent like we did with Cam Norrie. Because if it, if he goes on and becomes, you know, a good solid presence in the top five and and wins an event, I'll claim him. I'm sure the rest of us will too. <laughs> yeah, we might have to um, as our last resort, basically, to get to to that level anyway. Uh, but we don't have to worry about uh, claiming uh, sort of outsiders when it comes to sevens because we've been so damn good at it over a long period of time, Aiden. Uh, but uh, Hamilton is hosting it for the last time in the foreseeable future. Uh, how do you think we'll go at home and uh, where perhaps do you think it might end up if it ever came back to New Zealand? Yeah, I think we'll go, I think we'll go reasonably well. Um, you know, there's been, what, three tournaments so far, um, second and third off the top of my head and... Samoa and South Africa uh, are just ahead of us in the, in the standings. But, uh, you know, generally speaking, we always go pretty well at home. I think, again, the women will go well. Um, Australia uh, will be their main competition, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's a possibility of, of two wins from both competitions, to be honest with you, um, in terms of if it ever comes back here. Well, it seems that the, the organisers of the, the World Rugby 7 Series now um, have very specific criteria about what they want to see in a host country uh, or host city. Um, so we may have some romantic ideas about where we would like it to go in New Zealand. Um, but probably, if we're honest, probably the only venue as things stand that could could attract it back in however many years is probably Auckland. I think that's the reality. As much as we might say, oh, wouldn't it be great to have it in Dunedin or you know, grow, you know, somewhere else. Um, I think realistically, if the organisers are looking at things, Eden Park is the only option. Okay, interesting. Do you see it getting back to Eden Park, Jamie? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I think that the World Rugby are, are basically just going to blow the whole concept up and, and start again. <clears throat> and I think what they're trying to model it on, which is what they trying to, tried to model it on all along, um, because it was originally called the, uh, or at least known as the Grand Prix series, was on on sort of F1, and that this is a big travelling roadshow that sort of moves from place to place. Uh, and um, you know, 
absorbs all the attention for one weekend. Um, Sevens kind of isn't really in a place to be doing that. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of chat about about this one, even though it's the last time it's going to be held in New Zealand. But what I I understand they're looking at is to be playing it in sort of big, glamorous venues. You know, you're talking about, um, you know, Hong Kong, Cape Town, Paris, west coast of um, United States or, or Las Vegas, and then that nice new stadium they've got there. Uh, you know, these big, and make it into a real big ticket item rather than, you know, the kind of just let's go get on the piss for the weekend kind of thing um, that it has it has got. Uh, because they they do want to cut it down to um, seven tournaments a year. Where that leaves um, the, the All Black Sevens and the Black Fern Sevens is, is going to be really interesting uh, because, of course, they are, Funded by not just Easy Rugby but the, the government, you know, but they get they get Olympic um, funding uh, because it's an Olympic sport. And what they're actually going to do with all of this downtime that they'll have once the tournaments get cut back, and the especially for the women as well, because um, they probably won't have uh, other rugby to go back to like like the men do, um, will be quite interesting. I, um, I think that uh, if anything. It's going to take a bit of adjustment. Um, I think that the closest sevens tournament uh, that's going to be held in New Zealand will 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 be in Sydney. Um, I, I understand that's where they're going to be they're going to be basing the, the kind of leg for this part of the world, um, and that it's going to be something we're going to be watching on TV um, for a while. And and also the fact that they need to change the one key issue with sevens, which is that it's supposed to be. Um, this short and sharp and entertaining thing that only takes up 15 minutes of your time, but in order to actually get invested in the tournament, it takes three days. Um, so you're talking about something that's being marketed as a short form um, uh, event that's almost as long as a cricket test. So that's something they they, they really need to be looking at um, rather than just where it's being held. Jamie Wall and Aidan McLaughlin have been our panelists this morning. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Um, we'll have another one uh, around 10.20 tomorrow morning. Uh, have a great day, both of you. It is uh, 10.43 here on SCNZ. SCNZ, it's Kiwi for Sport. Keep up to date on Twitter and Instagram at SCNZ underscore radio. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.48 here too on SENZ this Monday morning. A lot of texts that have come in and uh, there's some really nice ones, uh, personal ones too, which uh, I shall read out. Jim from Tamuka, congratulations on your career. That TV channel, uh, Smithy, uh, a fantastic journey with many highlights and memories. Happy New Year and welcome home, Jim. Absolutely, uh, and uh, I pass it back to you, back at you, man. Uh, yeah, it's been great. A lot of fun. Um, we work with some terrific people on some terrific, terrific events. But um, time's up, so we, we move on and try something else. Margaret, uh, Happy New Year to you. It's lovely to uh, hear you back. It's lovely to be back, Margaret. I hope uh, things are well in your life. Um, welcome back, Smithy. Great to have you back. Enjoyed listening to you on Fox Cricket coverage. Their coverage of Test Cricket is superb. Cheers, regards, Di. You are so right there, Di. Um, that is, uh, their coverage is just absolutely magnificent. <coughs> they uh, they don't spare uh, uh, one cent in bringing the best possible product that they can to you and their relationship with Australian cricket and uh, the Australian team um, amazes me when I consider uh, access to uh, some of our sporting teams. 
just blows me away what uh, they are able to do. Imagine uh, bringing a camera down during the drinks break and just asking someone how his batting's going and how he feels about things. Try that over here. <clears throat> Good luck. Can Phillips open? Uh, has he ever opened the batting? Drop Finn down the order for a while till he gets comfortable. Finn Allen is a big gamble. That, remember, Finn Allen was the guy they dumped Martin Guptill for and said, he's our future. You are not Guppy. Um, so Finn Allen, uh, pressure on. Uh, to me, he just doesn't come off often enough, and uh, he has to change his game a little bit, be a little bit more versatile in his thinking because it didn't take them long to work him out. Could Phillips open? Phillips could do anything, I think. He is an absolute superstar in the game. A lot of people around the world rate him very highly. He was in the T20 World Cup uh, overall team, and it was everybody's pick in that. Uh, he's electric between the wickets. If he could develop his spin bowling, he would become a big, big IPL uh, venture, I would be thinking Glenn Phillips. He is one we can hat, hang our hat on going forward. But, yeah, I could think he could do anything. Best players should be facing the most balls. No point in him coming in at uh, number four or five for me. Uh, welcome back, Smithy, uh, from Brendan Love. Uh, see on the TV watching the Big Bash. I enjoy watching it. Uh, easy time. It's easy times to watch. I was in Melbourne and made it today. Two of the Boxing Day tests sitting in that scorching heat. God, it was hot. Brendan, I pity you for that. But wow, what a stadium. Just loved it. And TV's everywhere, so you don't miss a thing. We'll definitely go back a day, a, again. Uh, hopefully New Zealand go back. I think it's two to three years, and we perform a little bit more creditably than we did last time, Brendan. So jump on that plane and head over to that one. But certainly you're right. It is some stadium with some atmosphere. Over 40 degrees out in the middle on the day too. Staggering that they got through it. And we saw the sight of David Warner cramping up and actually in, in the state of... He was very distraught at one point um, and came back the next day and got out first ball, but I'm not sure he reco had recovered from the day before. Hey, Smithy, might be a bit of a ridic ridiculous uh, idea, uh, but how about uh, getting rid of draws in test cricket? If a game is heading for a draw, should we give the game to the team who has scored the most boundaries? And I know that is a sore topic for most of us Kiwis. It would encourage more aggressive batting to closer align with the popularity of T20 cricket. Uh, I totally agree. I worked on a dead rubber draw, uh, the last test in Sydney, and the last day and a half complete and utter flop. So something to work on there as well. Not a stupid idea at all. At all. Uh, and talking about uh, people not being stupid, we certainly don't say that about Paul Mawati. He's with us next from the TAB. Field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Great to be able to talk to Paul Mawati, of course, representing the TAB. And, uh, Paul, uh, what a Monday this is because, of course, the Aussie Open starts. Uh, the NFL playoffs are in full swing. Uh, a lot of activity, I'm sure, at your place. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, and we've got a bonus back promotion on the Bengals-Ravens game later on this afternoon. I'm just having a look at the market as we speak. Bengals favourites there at a dollar twenty-two. Ravens at four dollars. Bengals no surprises. They have been very well backed, and there's a boosted option on that game as well. Jamar Chase, a hundred plus receiving yards, and at least one touchdown. That's been boosted to five twenty-five. That's been very well supported by punters. Just having a look at the next um, uh, game that's only just kicked off. We're into the fourth quarter. No score. Vikings Giants. Um, Surprisingly, the Giants, we've taken a wee bit more money on the Giants. I see the Vikings have only just scored, but um, pre-game, the Giants were very well backed by punters. Interesting. Uh, round one of the Aussie Open as well, well Paul, with some, some favourites up against some lesser-known players. So uh, even with multi-betting, there's money to be made there. 
Yeah, certainly is. Uh, and we've got a promotion on um, the Mega Multi Tennis Buster as well. Um, just check out the TAB website for all the um, T's and C's around that one. I'm having a look at the outright winner market for the Men's Australian Open Tournament. Uh, no surprises, Djokovic has been very, very popular. He's $1.73. The second line of bidding, Daniil Medvedev at $5.50. And the Aussie, Nick Kyrgios, $13.00. Second best back at the moment, ahead of Rafael Nadal, also at $13. Paul Moati is always uh, with us from the TAB. Thanks for that, Paul, and the opportunities for you to be a winner with them. Uh, of course, gamble responsibly. Uh, we shall talk uh, about the Tennis Open after 11 o'clock because we've got Brett Phillips with us. Uh, he's SEN's uh, own commentator. Uh, he's uh, working alongside uh, Aussie great Mark Woodford on their broadcast. Speak to him very shortly. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Six-year-old Frenchman winds back the clock and wins a title for the first time since 2018. And his win means the wait for an Auckland title goes on for Cam Norrie. But that win did not come easy. It's Gasquet winning 4-6, 6-4, 6-4. Yes, that was the story over the weekend. Gasquet, the Frenchman, beating uh, Cameron Norrie, who's been to many parts of the world, including us. Um, of course, but uh, winning that uh, in a tight uh, final in the ASB Classic Men's Singles. And, uh, of course, uh, that signals that uh, it is now time to start uh, the first slam of the year. And that, of course, is the Australian Open, which uh, begins today. There's no deportation drama for Novak Djokovic this year. Focus is all on Melbourne. And SENZ will have live point-by-point -point commentary of the night sessions from 9 o'clock tonight. That's great news. Uh, 9 o'clock tonight, live point-by-point -point commentary. And leading that will be SEN Zone Brent Brett Phillips from uh, uh, over there uh, in Australia, and uh, alongside him, which is absolutely fantastic news as well, uh, is Mark Woodford, former Australian tennis great, uh, particularly alongside his great mate Todd Woodbridge. So, Brett uh, joins us this morning here on SENZ. Thanks so much for your time. Busy, busy couple of uh, weeks ahead of you. Brett must be looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely, Ian. Yeah, it's uh, sort of Christmas time the next uh, two weeks. No, look, I've done a few Australian Opens now, and look, they're always uh, a great two weeks. You're on pure adrenaline, uh, days into nights, uh, no set finish time. But, you know, I was just listening to that commentary of uh, Richard winning, and he's, you know, had one of the best single handed backhands I can remember in tennis. And, you know, he could, he could meet our very own Nick Kyrgios in the second round. So we'll see how he pulls up from Auckland. But, I think that was one of the great photos, tennis photos on the weekend. He was drowning himself in champagne. And at 36, he probably didn't think um, maybe another title was uh, going to be coming his way. And he, uh, yeah, he's one of those that, you know, played in the tough era, Federer and Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, where he made some semifinals, world number seven, but tough to get in with those champions. But he's still playing and... He would have jetted to Melbourne, and we're ready to go here. It's a little overcast, going to be humid, 29. Crowds will be heaving on the first two days, and the story starts here. It does start here, and, of course, it's a different story uh, this time around with uh, all sorts of 
uh, things being lifted in terms of COVID restrictions. Uh, and, uh, of course, that also means uh, Novak Djokovic uh, can turn up and play this year without any of the drama of uh, last time around. Uh, how do you think Novak uh, is going to go here? Well, he deserves to start favourite. I mean, it's, it's just been an interesting watch in the last week because he played in Adelaide, he won Adelaide, and he did have a bit of a, a little bit of a hamstring scare, if you want to call it. He came to Melbourne. He's been here all week. He had a practice hit out with Medvedev on Wednesday. He pulled up a little short in that. He's got a bit of taping there. He had a little sort of hit and giggle, if you like, with uh, Nick Kyrgios uh, just to uh, iron a few cobwebs on uh, Friday night, more entertaining for the fans. So... It's rare that Novak sort of comes into a major with an injury. There's but there's been plenty of times across the journey that he's incurred an injury and somehow played through and, and won the seven matches and lifted a trophy. So it's an interesting watch. Uh, but look, I look at his draw, you know, first round, second round. Dimitrov in the third round would be interesting if Grigor got through. He's still a very decent player. Maybe our very own Alex Dimonor. In, uh, in round four, and then there's, you know, that quarterfinal potential matchup with uh, Kyrgios, but Kyrgios is going to get through, you know, a couple of players to get to that point. So he deserves to be favourite. There's no Alcaraz, the world number one, of course, but I think even if Carlos was here, because Novak's won it nine times, he does have a love affair here. He loves playing on these hard courts at Melbourne Park that he's going to be the man to beat if he's fit and healthy. On the subject of uh, Kyrgios, is it now or never for Nick? I mean, you know, his tennis form has actually been okay, but we all know what his personality personality is like. And, of course, being at home, more pressure than uh, elsewhere around the world. What about the fortnight ahead, possibly for Nick? Yeah, I, I think the way, I'd, the way I'd sum it up is when someone has that much talent, I mean, this is, this is freakish, sublime talent. You always think as a, you know, whether you're a tennis analyst, whether you're a tennis fan, it would just be a shame if he didn't lift one of the four biggest trophies in tennis for the talent that he's got. But, you know, as we know, that only gets you so far. I mean, you've got to dial in mentally to win seven gruelling matches, best of five, differing conditions. You know, you might play on a 29-degree day, a 38-degree day in the middle of the day. So that's always been the question mark with Nick, and it will remain the question mark until he wins one. Now, Certainly last year was more encouraging. He seems more dialed in. He's got the game face on. I think he's got uh, some good solid people around him. It hasn't always been that way. It's been a bit chaotic behind the scenes. So, you know, girlfriend that's uh, right in his corner, his manager who's, um, you know, just keeping everything in check because there's a lot of requests for Nick and to be here, there and everywhere. But if he can just play tennis, he hasn't played a lead-up match, but if there's one guy that can sort of come off a limited prep, it is Kyrgios because he's got the 200-kilometre-plus serve that's going to be hard to break. It's whether he can return well. Um, we'd love the Djokovic-Kyrgios quarterfinal, but, yeah, Nick's got to jump a few hurdles. And, yeah, that pressure of playing at home, I suppose, yeah, does exist for a lot of athletes. Well, you've got a, a fairly high-profile Australian in action tonight uh, on your first match that you're calling uh, for us, in particular, too, over here. It was John Millman uh, up against uh, Swiss Mark Andrea Hustler. Both unseated, yep. um, but how do you think that'll go? Well, we love Johnny. He um, He's just blue collar. What a career. I mean, we don't know quite what's ahead. We know what he's achieved. There's a little bit of unknown of what's left. 
This is the first year in four years that he's dipped outside the top 100. It took him seven years to get inside the top 100. That'd be a good Netflix doco, Smitty, on just the journey of John Millman because he's played at every level. He's been through injury. He sits on the player council. He's got a fair opinion and a fair say. He's not. He's got as, as much talent in his whole body as Nick's got on. Nick Kyrgios has got on his little finger. But he gets every bit out of himself, and those are the most annoying guys to play because they make you play an extra ball, an extra ball. You wish Johnny had that killer shot. I mean, he's not absolutely at his sharpest. I'll say that. But he's on show court three tonight. I think they give jelly babies to everyone in the crowd there because they just whip themselves into a frenzy. And whatever that's worth, if it's worth 5%, they can get Johnny inspired. He's up against a talented young man who's, well, now becoming the face of Swiss tennis, if you like, because Federer's gone. Vavrinka's in the twilight at 37. This guy's ranked 50. Husler, left-hander, difficult to play, but we're hoping Johnny can, you know, wring everything out of himself and maybe win a couple of matches in what possibly could be his last, you know, Australian Open. Brett, you mentioned before a hit-up between uh, with Medvedev and uh, Djokovic. You've got Medvedev in uh, your next match on Rod Lever, Lever Arena tonight up against uh, American Marcos Giron. Medvedev's yeah. prospects in the next fortnight. Up against Quadzilla. Uh, Ian and I get a look <laughs> at those quads. Oh, they're big quads. But, you know, this guy, uh, this guy's not a bad player, actually. He's taken some really good scalps in the last 12 months, some decent players, and uh, college uh, product out of the U.S., yeah, Medvedev, um, look, he's a fascinating guy, Daniil. He's got a high IQ. He's a bit quirky, plays very unorthodox. It took him to world number one. Didn't have a great Grand Slam year last year. I mean, had to miss Wimbledon like all the Russian players and you know, obviously made that final in Melbourne, losing to Nadal, but the French wasn't great. The US wasn't great. He only won two titles for a guy of his standard. So he's dropped back in the pack So and he's become a dad. A bit going on. So I'm keen to see how dialed in he is over the next uh, the next fortnight. So he, I mean, he could he could run into a guy like Sebastian Corder in the third round, and Corder's just come off you know being runner up to Djokovic in Adelaide and a huge uh, talent uh, from that great sporting family, the Corders. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm not sure about Medvedev this tournament. Um, I, I feel like there's something else he needs to add to his game, just a couple more tricks, I reckon, because this game keeps evolving and players. Uh, you know, keep finding a way um, to expose those high-level players who sometimes can be maybe a little one-dimensional. But it, you know, it's, it's served him well, but I think he's it's not going to maybe um, serve him well forever. On the women's side of the draw, Brett, um, it's, it's uh, I think, a real opportunity for someone this time around. No Ash Barty, of course, uh, leaving the game a lot earlier than a lot of uh, tennis fans would have wanted, but that has been the case. No Halep out with a drug suspension. Uh, Naomi yep. Osaka announcing she's pregnant, as is uh, Angelique Kerber. So they won't be part of uh, this year's uh, first major or first Grand Slam. Uh, I can't pick a winner in the women's. Is, is there a real opportunity for someone here to make a name? Well, uh, there's, there's sort of a. This is how the conversation would go for me. We've got a. We've, I mean, the world number one is Iga Swiatek, and I mean she's a star. She's come off an incredible year. Um, so she's about 5,000 points clear in the ranking. So Eager's there, and then and then there's then there's the big pack. And it's a big, big pack, and it's really hard to pick. I mean, since Serena won her last one in 2017, we've had 13 different champions in the last five years. And if you look through those names, I would never have been able to sit here on the opening Monday of a slam and pick that uh, Radakanu, Kachikova, Kennan, 
uh, Ostapenko, we're going to win majors. Uh, Ry Buckinger at Wimbledon last year. So I think uh, if if Coco Goff, who won in Auckland to start the year, and if she can get through to a quarterfinal with Iga, they're on the same side of the draw, that would be fascinating. Um, because I think Coco's better placed than what she was at the French Open last year um, to, to maybe take the Sviantec scalp. So Iga, I think, deserves favouritism. I think Danny, the big hitters are the ones that I reckon we just put a little asterisk. Danielle Collins, finalist last year. Madison Keys, semi-finalist last year. Good form at the United Cup. Petra Kvitova's looked okay. Strikes a good ball. Uh, Belinda Bencic has just won Adelaide. It's, she's due to go deeper into an Australian Open. And always watch out for the finest product to ever come out of Little Estonia, and that's Kaya Kanepi. Now, she's made the quarterfinals of every major. She's 37. But she hits the ball that hard. If it stays inside the tram lines, which can be a bit hit and miss, she's tough to beat. So I'll just throw those names up, but eager, and then throw a blanket over a big stack of players. Uh, CEO, um, Craig Tiley, uh, how's uh, he, he put it all together this year? Are you confident of a great fortnight? Yeah, it feels normal, that, that's for sure. And Novak's here, there's no COVID restrictions. The site looks absolutely brilliant. It's, uh, you know, it's the biggest Grand Slam site out of the four uh, because we're, you know, because of the relationship that uh, Tennis Australia formed with the Victorian government here. So you, you get off in the heart of Melbourne at Flinders Street, Fed Square, that whole journey to Melbourne Park. There's sort of, you know, there's the, the tennis precinct and then there's the, the entertainment precinct around the tennis precinct. So there's plenty of people, Smith, that never even get in and watch a ball. They love going mm. to the Australian Open, grab a few drinks, watch the big screen, watch a couple of bands play, and they're part of the tennis. So they've set it up uh, absolutely brilliantly in this space. It's you know right on the doorstep of the CBD, as you know. The players love it from an access point of view. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see if, you know, the crowd, which I thought got out of control a little bit last year, I think, you know, particularly the Kyrgios Kokonakis sort of supporters. Uh, hopefully the, the etiquette will be sort of kept in check a little bit this year. That's the only thing I think uh, needs to just improve a bit. But, yeah, that's, yeah, we're, we're pulling straws. And you're alongside, not that you're not an icon yourself, but you're alongside an icon in terms of uh, Mark Woodford. Uh, his thoughts will be really interesting. Yeah, he's been part of our coverage um, for the last few years. Wealth of knowledge, um, no, looking forward to Mark. We're going to have many voices coming in across the next fortnight, former players and you know, great tennis journalists who live and breathe the tour. So we'll get a real mix of voices into our coverage. Uh, I love doing the tennis on the radio. Um, there's, it's, you know, I mean, that's the great part about SCN is, you know, Smithy, we've got live sport going on, whatever, you know, even if, if tennis is not your absolute fancy, hopefully we'll bring you the theatre and the excitement across uh, the next fortnight. I was just watching too uh, before I left Australia and then came home. A lot of coverage. Is it now the United Cup? Was that used to be the Hopman Trophy? Yeah. So the Hopman Cup became the ATP Cup and then became the United Cup. So there's been a bit of change in that regard. But yeah, it's sort of like the old Hopman Cup, men and women together. But this time around, there were actually rankings points and and a huge differential in prize money. So yeah, a bit of tinkering. Um, I think it's here to stay. And it is great to see the men and the women actually come together, which they love. So the players embraced it. It didn't necessarily get full stadiums um, outside of the Australian matches. So they've got to work on how they sell that. Um, but, yeah, it'll uh, it'll be here to stay for a little while. Hopefully that'll sort of uh, bed itself down. But I don't know if you heard the news on the weekend about the Davis Cup, which uh, is an absolute basket case now. And if the people can take the Davis Cup back, because the ITF have cut their 
25-year agreement with this Cosmos group. He tried to turn it into a World Cup of tennis. It's been an absolute disaster. And hopefully we can get back to having home and away ties all around the world because that that's what made the Davis Cup. And on differing surfaces too? Correct. Yep. Correct. Differing surfaces, uh, you know, that ability. And, and best of five, it was up there, you know, as the pinnacle alongside the Grand Slams. And the players loved it. They love any opportunity to represent their country. But you want you want ten or 15,000 in your corner, not going to Malaga in Spain where you've got a little cheer squad of Aussie supporters. I mean, they just mm. absolutely ruined the Davis Cup, uh, the ITF, the oldest standing team competition in the world. Sometimes, you know, the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it. And, this, and, and that was exactly the case. Yeah, that saying's changed, hasn't it? If it ain't broke, we, we have to fix it. I, I don't get it. I, I see that in cricket often as well. Hey, Britt, yep. uh, have a, a great fortnight. Hopefully we'll get the opportunity uh, to talk to you uh, again before uh, it, uh, it all completely unfolds. If you had to go, just if you had to go uh, a winner on each side in the singles, <laughs> could, could you perhaps nominate us one? Because we do have, uh, like, the odd punt on this show. Uh, oh, look, you know, I'd be going out in a limb... You know, I feel like, how can you go past Novak? Uh, the way he finished last year, and he's eyeing the most Grand Slam titles, and he knows the clock is ticking, 36 this year. He's got to get in before these young bucks really uh, get red mm. hot. So I, I'm going uh, I'm going Djokovic. And, and Igor Fiontek's level was that good last year. It was mind-blowing. So I know I'm going the two absolute hot favourites, but... Um, yeah, nothing else is convincing me that that's not going to be the case at this stage. Good on you. Um, small fish are sweet, so I'd be happy to be on those if they won them. Brett uh, Phillips, have a, a great fortnight, of course. We shall be listening to, to them, of course. You will know that on this side of the Tasman as well. And enjoy the experience once again. I know you've done plenty, but uh, it makes an old man young, doesn't it, the, the big events? <laughs> uh, indeed. Great to chat, Ian. Talk soon. Cheers, Cheers Brett Phillips there, uh, our SEN brother. Uh, who is uh, working, uh, he will be very working overtime too, because as he mentioned, there is no time frame on some of those matches. Uh, he could be working uh, well after midnight Australian time on uh, when the second one, if the second one goes for five sets, uh, he's going to be a tired boy working alongside uh, Mark Woodford and uh, uh, other Australian and, and world <coughs> tennis uh, greats as well in the SEN's commentary team. Should be fantastic. It's 11.20 here on SENZ. Uh, we shall be back shortly. This needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, if you're an NFL fan, this is your time of the year, no doubt about that. And there are some terrific wildcard games, playoff games going on at the moment. Uh, of course, yesterday, the 49ers, who are warming to be one of the preferred teams, they uh, overcame... The Seahawks in a high-scoring match, uh, 41-23. Um, uh, earlier this morning, the Bills against the Dolphins. Now, everyone thought that the Bills would run over the Dolphins without any problem at all. They were behind on several occasions, had to come back, and finally got up just by the skin of their teeth, 34-31. As we speak, the Giants are playing the Vikings. Uh, it's been a pretty high-scoring first quarter with uh, three touchdowns already. The Giants are leading 14-7. Uh, with a minute to go in that. Uh, and how about how about the Chargers and the Jaguars? There's always room for upsets in sport, but this was an interesting one, Logan. Oh, I love this. You'd think, being up 27-0, that the Chargers would go on to win, but no, not as the case. 
They end up losing 31-30. Everything came down. I, I love this in NFL and American football. When it all comes down to that final kick, and it was all at the laces for Riley Patterson. Meanwhile, Jacksonville can set their sights likely on Kansas City. Here we go for the win. Got it, but there's a flag down. There's a flag down as everybody's running out onto the field, but there's a penalty marker. And they call it on the defense. Unbelievable. Uh, that, that is unbelievable. Smithy, I get calling the game as it is and, you know, giving out penalties, but when it is the end of the game and it's against the defense, so you know that penalty is going to get declined, the game's over, everyone's run on, why throw the flag? Officiating at its best. That's what it's all about, mate. Officiating at its very best. They like, they still like to have their last say, even when they know it's over and it is over effectively, they still like being noticed. So, yeah, I totally agree. They, they, they should just completely and utterly rule that uh, and have a chat to that man or woman who was officiating in that particular situation. But great reaction to it. Yeah, another thing that I love about American football, Smithy, is, I mean, we see it in the movies, right, the halftime or the full-time speech. There was a great, apparently there was a great one at halftime that I uh, haven't heard or seen, but this was the full-time one from Jaguars head coach, Doug Peterson. I can honestly say this, in all my years of being around this game and being around what we did in the first half compared to the second half, okay, this one goes down. This one goes down as one of the greatest, greatest, okay, greatest victories I've ever had. And I, you know, hey, you know, you know me and you know my heart. This is not about me. This is about us. This is about us. Defense, you balled your ass off for 60 minutes. You know what? What we talked about at halftime of just hanging together one play at a time mentality. Defense was going to go get the stops. We were going to get the ball. We were going to punch it in the end zone. Score every drive if we had to. Okay. And you did. Offensively, you did. Great job. You, you, you have faith in yourself. You have faith in each other. You keep encouraging one another like we talk about all the time. And you believe. You know, belief is about understanding that you can get it done, right? And then it gets done, right? It just can't happen and then you have belief, right? And that's what faith is about. And you guys have it. But hey, before, before we get out of here, we got to get at least one. You ready? One, two, three. Let's bring it up. Cool. What access we have in sport these days to be able to have that recorded and released and be able to get those magical moments. That's kind of the things you find in movies, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff. So wonderful, Logan, to, to get that. Uh, we're going to take a short break for the news. Of course, we also invite you now uh, to play Stump Smithy for the first time against me anyway uh, in this calendar year. It's 0800 150 811, 0800 uh, We shall have the $50 bonus bet from the TAB up for grabs, uh, of course. Uh, you just have to uh, answer three simple questions, which will be hosted by our uh, quizmaster, uh, Logan Swinkles. And uh, after that, of course, uh, if you get the through and you win the third one, you get the bounty. It's as easy as that. And uh, in the next half hour, uh, we've got a little bit of uh, 
I guess what's the word I'm looking for? We've got some, we've got some interviews and, and some uh, reaction to be played for from the tennis, perhaps a little bit from the breakers as well, um, and uh, maybe you for Tula, uh, Tulay as well uh, on the result from the Phoenix. So plenty to talk about in the next half hour as well. But get on the phone, 0800-150-811, play Stump Smithy. In the meantime, here's Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, it's time for the first proper legit Stump by Smithy of 2023. Of course, we've had the likes of Sam Hewitt, Mark Watson and, and Ricardo Ball. I think even a little Stephen McIver all holding the line, but there's nothing comes close to it like... A stunt by Smithy. Smithy, are you ready for another big year of it? Yeah, I think I'll be better this year. I really do. And I've just sort of opened my horizons, expanded them a wee bit, read a few newspaper articles and uh, looked at uh, stuff, etc. So I hope you're good. Uh, those people that are calling in, I hope they're good this, uh, this particular calendar year. Uh, so who have we got first? Who's, got the, who's opening? First at the crease, we're going to Marlborough and it is Morgan. Come in, mate. Morning, team. Happy New Year, Smithy. Happy New Year to you, Morgan. So great to hear from uh, you. You're a brand spanking new name for me to start off uh, the competition. So uh, I welcome you uh, individually. Uh, Logan, uh, what have we got in terms of uh, topics or um, competition subjects this morning? First of all, Morgan, are you aware of how the game is played? Yeah, mate. Yep, yep. I've actually spoken to Smithy a couple of times before doing this, but haven't had much luck. So I'm hoping I can start 2023 off with a different result too. Nice. I like like the sound of that. I recognise the name, but I don't. I don't remember you as a contestant. So good luck, anyway, Morgan. Here's his uh, question number one. And what are the subjects actually? This that's probably more important. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Fifty dollars TAB bonus. We're up for grabs today, Morgan. Your topics are cricket, football, that's soccer, football, and golf. Soccer, football. All right. Good luck. First question for you, Morgan. Who leads? The English Premier League. Arsenal. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Another win there this morning, Smithy. They're at 15 now on 47 points. I won't even know. Uh, we probably don't need to go into that match, though, do we? No, we don't. We don't even care. Just they take the three points and they beat a side that has uh, a constant letdown. But moving right on. <laughs> Moving along, second question for you, Morgan. Who leads the A-League men's competition? God. Um, Phoenix aren't there, are they? They're not near the top. Um, is it that? Oh, the, the blue Melbourne team. Is it Melbourne City? Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Oof, when you said the blue team, I thought for a second you might slip and say Sydney FC, but they're nowhere near. No, no, yuck, yuck. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right now, the, the Wellington Phoenix are fourth on the table, so they're doing all right, Smithy. Yeah. Not they are, yes. The Mariners second, um, Western United third, and MacArthur. Interesting, MacArthur are fifth, so yeah, no sign of uh, the Melbourne victory or Sydney FC. Great. Okay, question three. <laughs> I love when the big dogs fail. All right, last question for you, Morgan. $50 TAB bonus bet after grabs. How many wins this season do the Phoenix women have? Oh, I don't want to name and say zero, but I think it's... Just, I've been looking at your results lately and I've been pretty pretty sad for them. I'm, I'm thinking none. 
I'm going now. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, you didn't even get a chance. I, I actually thought for a second there that, Morgan, you were going to talk yourself out of it and not say zero. No, I just thought, I mean, I haven't watched all the games. I've watched a few of them because, I mean, I'm a football tragic, but I, I thought they, they snaked the win last year, but I didn't think they'd pulled anything through this year, and they'd, they'd either lost by quite a margin or they'd lost by just one. But I couldn't remember a victory. <sighs> Well, there you go, Smithy. It's like you were taking on Ricardo Ball uh, for the first round here play- with going on football. Oh, it's like actually bowling to Brian Lara, the aforementioned Brian Lara. <laughs> bowling three decent deliveries outside off stump and being belted through the cover off the front of that front and back foot right from the outset. Morgan, outstanding batting this morning. Brilliant play. Um, stay on the line. Brian will get your details so we can get that uh, money to you uh, quick, smart, mate. Um, Enjoy Marlborough. Love the place. So uh, thanks for calling in and, and well done. Thanks, Matey. You have a good 2023, eh? and uh, we'll hopefully ring you up a couple of times during the year and try and take a couple more dollars <laughs> off you. Yeah, well, on that kind of form, you clearly will. Um, so we'll, we'll make sure we uh, we try something. Apart from soccer football with you, Morgan, next time. The note's gone against your name already. Promise, mate. Uh, <laughs> right, stay on mate. the line, uh, and, and Brian will get those details. 11.37, I'm just seeing this uh, text that's come through from Ken from Papamoa. I know I've been uh, very busy over the weekend, and I've been out of sync as such. And I know you're on your laptop now. Uh, Dave Rennie has been sacked. Eddie Jones has replaced him. Uh, Smithy, you were a real asset to Fox, the Fox team. Ken from Papa Ma. Um, I, I've got to say, it's not April the 1st, so it's not April well, Fool's. No. It's my first day back. Tell me about this. Is that fact or fiction? Uh, it is fact. The, this comes from a uh, friend of the show, Tom Deason, at the Sydney Morning Herald. Breaking, Dave Rennie has been sacked as Wallabies coach effective immediately. As you said, Eddie Jones to coach the Wallabies at the 2023 World Cup. It is a five-year deal through the 2027 my God, fathers, that is huge news. Ken from Papamara, thank you very much for uh, uh, coming through on us. Really appreciate the fact that uh, you're able to, to let us know and for us to release it like this. That is staggering, absolutely staggering to me. There'll be so much more about that. We'll try and endeavour to get someone on the show tomorrow morning, absolutely from Australia, on that. Maybe uh, someone the likes of Andrew Mertens or somebody. Dave Rennie has been sacked, according to reports, Eddie Jones, uh, who's been bulleted out of England, has moseyed straight back in the back door, or the front door really, I suppose, and replaced him as the Wallabies head coach this season, straight through to the World Cup and through to 2027. Wow, Ken, that, uh, thanks for that. That's, uh, I've got to say, that's uh, blown me out of the water a wee bit. Terrific bloke, uh, terrific coach, Dave Rennie. Couldn't quite get it done uh, with Australia. Had uh, numerous, numerous, numerous injury and other factors to deal with there. Couldn't quite get the continuity going. So uh, Australian rugby have made a big, big call this morning. More on that very shortly, your reaction to that and our reaction to uh, sport over the weekend. It is 11.39. Bring your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Okay, yeah, uh, we're uh, just uh, still getting more information uh, coming through uh, about uh, the sacking of Dave Rennie as Wallabies coach. Uh, interesting. Uh, Mike says, uh, Ian, uh, I was playing Royal Melbourne on the 28th of December. By the 12th hole, I was fully cooked, 38 degrees, very unpleasant, and his form was shite. 
had to repair, uh, retire to the clubhouse for rehydration. I totally understand uh, what your thinking was there. I would have hate to be out in the Melbourne sun baking on that particular day. It was stinking hot. Uh, Jim from Tamuka uh, is coming against me. They enjoyed your work on the Test Series in Australia. Some great humour had me laughing. Uh, will a last draw affect Australia in the Test Championship rankings? Who's most likely to make the final? Australia and India for me at the moment. Uh, I think, Jim, I think Australia pretty much guaranteed, to be perfectly honest. Didn't help them, uh, but uh, in all honesty, I, I thought they could have perhaps opened that game up uh, by just batting for five minutes and saying to South Africa, um, it's a dead rubber, but if you're interested in, in trying to win this game, here's a, here's a run chase you can get, and it gives us time to bowl you out. Would have been a lot more interesting. Uh, I think that would have happened for Brennan McCullum and Ben Stokes. Uh, they would have entertained that idea. Uh, text is already a question. How can we possibly get uh, Dave Rennie into the All Black setup? He's a great coach, maybe an understudy uh, role under Foster and Schmidt, more so Schmidt, uh, so he can grow as an international coach. 100% Australian rugby had a shocker here. I don't remember a game where Rennie was in charge. He had a full strength 23. Ridiculous. That is from Brad. Uh, good morning, Smithy. That is huge news and disappointing for Rennie as a great coach. You can only coach what you've got. You can't turn your donkeys into thoroughbreds. Uh, look at the uh, uh, look at Robbie Deans. This is a step backwards for the Wallabies. Cheers. That's uh, from Chop. Uh, yeah, there will be a lot of reaction to this as we uh, work through it uh, throughout the day. Um, yeah, and uh, of course uh, we were playing uh, little extracts of um, information and and uh, performances over the weekend. And um, you were talking to me uh, during the news, um, Logan in particular, uh, about a couple of uh, in particular. Uh, the tennis ones. Shall we play the tennis ones? Richard Gasquet, yeah? Are you interested in uh, playing that one, Logan? Yeah, uh, before we get to Richard Gasquet, we'll give you Cam okay. Norrie's post-match of uh, playing, right. let's say, at home. His you yeah. know, his his family is in Bucklands Beach, his mum and dad. So very special right. tournament for him. So you could tell this one meant a lot. And everyone's supporting me, which has been great. And... And yeah, like I said, I really wanted to win the title, but for me, um, changing nothing just makes me even more hungry and, and hopefully be back and I'll get the title next year. So, um. uh, The start to your year has been fantastic. You spoke throughout the week in the press saying how you were a youngster watching this tournament, seeing and dreaming that one day you'd be out here. So maybe some of the advice you can give to the youngsters who are here watching and what it means to you actually be twice now a finalist. I say three times is a charm, so definitely believe the next one's coming, mate. Yeah, I would say, obviously, I grew up here in, in Auckland and played at Bucklands Beach Tennis Club, and, and uh, if I was a junior and, and I was watching, I, I would say, keep going. You know, you can make it even from, from a place like here so far away. So, um, yeah, it's, that was kind of the main reason why I came back to, to New Zealand to inspire some of the, the juniors and... And yeah, it means a lot for, for all the support and big thanks to my parents and my, my sister watching back in London as well. So it means a lot. We're proud of you, mate. We're proud of you. Absolutely. How much emotion there. You could uh, tell it. And very much Kiwi in the accent. That's what I love uh, about it as well. Uh, yeah, so that was Cam Norrie beaten by this fella, Richard Gasquet, who celebrated in style. He must have thought his winning days were over. Yeah, it's true. I just spent my, my best tennis all the week, especially today in a, in a search set. I couldn't miss a, a shot, so it was, a, it was crazy. But, you know, I just to say, it's my first time here in, uh, in New Zealand. And I, I really love rugby. You know, I'm a big fan of rugby. And I talked, I talked a lot with French who came 
Hey, and how special it was to play here in this place in, in Auckland. I grew up watching Aka, you know, on YouTube, even on Stade de France. So I'm, I wanted to come one day here in, in Auckland and I could, I could do it. It was a dream coming through because, as you said, it's 20 years I'm playing on the tour. I never came here, so yeah, I'm really happy we, we, to win here. It's, it, it means a lot for me. Richard Gasquet, of course, they're both off on a plane and uh, they will have already and head across uh, to uh, the Australian Open, which starts uh, in that beautiful complex that is uh, Melbourne. Gosh, that's fantastic. You walk down from the city there and within 20 minutes you can go through Rod Laver Arena, you can go to all sorts of uh, rugby rugby league venues uh, and then, of course, you've got your uh, MCG as well. Uh, and it's within touching distance of a, a remarkable, vibrant city. Wonderful, wonderful place to be at this time of the year uh, anything else you've got for us of interest there that you've been researching Logan? Big one last night Smithy, the breakers the breakers hopes of yeah. another championship are very much on the line they could potentially still finish in a top two and if they do that they avoid the play-in tournament but of course they went down to the Kings Taipans last night, 85 out of 83 at Spark Arena this is how it sounded Hogue on him, up high comes Pardon, sets the screen, Will McDowell wide open, Will McDowell take it all! Up high comes Pardon to McDowell White, Abercrombie, why not, shoot it Will! Can you believe it, Smithy? <laughs> Just no. When you when you speak of great commentators, and I mean, you know, we've se- you've received a lot of love this morning from the people, which has been awesome. Andrew Mulligan has got to be up there in terms of basketball in New Zealand. Unbelievable. Mel loves Mel loves. You, you can hear that Mel loves basketball. You know, sometimes, uh, and that's one of the things about commentary in, in this country. So many commentators have to spread their skills far and wide. They occasionally have to do sports that they really haven't got the heart in but they do that and they do their research and they do a fine job on it but you can tell from Mull, Mull loves basketball and that comes through with Casey Frank and when he's commentating with those two dudes together it is absolutely magic so um, Mull has left you uh, in no doubt where his allegiance lies but uh, at the end of the day calls the plays play by play. Uh, More on uh, all that sort of feedback in that tomorrow uh, we have to take our final ad break and then we'll join up with Mark Watson, who uh, is in this afternoon.